This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It's often much easier to change who we think we are than it is to change the situation itself. Valeria Tellez interviews Peter Alessandria, the author of Be Bigger Than You Think You Are, overcoming our self-imposed limits to have the life we want. Born and raised in the New York City area, Peter attended college and law school in upstate New York, After law school, he moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career as an entertainment attorney. Today, he is an author, speaker, and teacher, as well as an award-winning, internationally published fine art, portrait, and commercial photographer. Working as an attorney in the entertainment industry sparked Peter's own creative interests, and in early 2000, while still practicing law, he began experimenting with digital video production. He eventually took up filmmaking as a hobby and wrote, produced, and directed six short films. Everything was great until the end of 2008. That was the year the global financial crisis hit, and within a matter of months, Peter lost his law practice. Despite his best efforts, he was unable to revive it and soon came to a crossroads. What was he going to do with the rest of his life? After much deliberation, Peter decided to follow his heart and pursue his passion for photography full-time. So in 2009, he moved back to the East Coast and launched his photography business. Unfortunately, things didn't go so well at first. For almost three years, Peter struggled to get his new business going more than once wondered if he had made the wrong choice. At first, it seemed like the economy was the problem. Then he thought it might be his lack of formal education in art or photography. Next, he wondered if it was the competition from all the other photographers out there. At one point, he was even convinced it was because he didn't have the latest and greatest camera equipment. But it turned out that none of that was the problem. What was holding Peter back were his own limiting thoughts and beliefs about himself. He had a very negative self-image when it came to being a creative person, and it was his own fear and self-doubt that were stopping him from moving forward. Peter fought hard for many months to overcome these obstacles. Using various techniques, he was eventually able to shift his self-image and break through into a more empowered way of living. This is what his latest book is all about. The results speak for themselves. Peter went from someone who never won an award for anything in his entire life 
to someone who has won more than 70 awards for his photography. He went from a person who was terrified to show his work publicly to someone who has had dozens of shows and exhibitions and whose images have been published online and in newspapers and magazines around the world. And he went from someone who never dreamt it was possible to sell even one of his photos to a working artist who licenses images for commercial use and who has sold prints to collectors as far away as Australia. In addition to being a freelance photographer, Peter is also an official photographer for Fireworks by Grucci, one of the oldest and most well-respected fireworks performance companies in the world. For the past four years, he has traveled the globe photographing their pyrotechnics performances, including two trips to Dubai, the Maldives, and various locations around North America. He is also listed as an official participant on two of the company's Guinness World Records. How cool is that? As an artist, Peter sells framed, signed, limited edition fine art prints of all his photos and also has two photography books, New York Cityscapes 2018 Amherst Media, which is a collaboration with six other top New York City photographers, as well as his own NYC photo book, New York City Nights, Book One, 2017. Both are available on his website and Amazon. Perhaps most astonishing is that Peter achieved all this without any formal training in art or photography. He is completely self-taught. Yet it wasn't until he overcame his own limiting thoughts and beliefs about himself that he was able to accomplish all these things. As he now knows, all the talent in the world won't help someone who doesn't believe in themselves. Today, Peter coaches, speaks, and lectures on topics from Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. He offers classes and weekly online workshops designed to help individuals and companies elevate their life and business to the next level. His passion for inspiring others has taken him as far as Columbia, South America, where he addressed more than 1,000 college students on the importance of pursuing our goals and dreams in life. He has given similar talks at Fordham University and to the Princeton Photography Club. Meet Peter at BeBiggerToday.com. Here is the interview with Peter Alessandria. In your own words, who is Peter Alessandria? Well, Valeria, thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, I had a feeling you're going to ask this question. So let me start by telling you who I'm not. I'm not my past, especially my past mistakes. I'm not my shortcomings. I'm not my limitations. And in a very general sense, which I'll describe in a minute, I'm not who I think I am. And yet, if you've read my book or familiar with my work, this is the primary question that I think we have to ask ourselves on a regular basis, which is, who do you think you are? Or to put it in the first person, who do I think I am? Because whoever I think I am is exactly who I'm going to end up being in life. And so I've noticed that for me, it becomes a moment by moment recognition and then decision of 
who do I want to be in this moment? Now, the way I know who I'm being in this moment is by the choices and decisions that I make. And so what I try to do and what I try to uh, help my um, readers and the people who study my work is to begin in each moment to consciously and deliberately choose that, make a decision. And, the, and that decision is based on who we want to be in this moment. And so I can tell you for me in this moment, I want to be open. I want to be helpful. I want to be of service. Uh, I want to be an expression of peace, an expression of self-love. Um, I want to be helpful. And, and I want to be conscious and aware and learn as much as I can from this discussion. So basically you're saying that we are changing the, the idea of who we are, if we are open, will always change and embrace what's happening now. Is that um, close in my understanding what you're trying to say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. For me, it's born out of the recognition that I'm choosing in every moment and I'm deciding in every moment. And the only decision I can really make is who I am. I can't choose for you who you are. And as I talk about in my book, you know, we have power over four things in life. The four things that I have power over are my thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Now, by definition, that means that everything that's not my own thoughts, feelings, words, and actions, I'm powerless over. And that includes other people, that includes external circumstances, conditions. So, but while I'm powerless over those things, I'm not powerless over how I react to those things. And so my work as a deliberate creator of my life, as a conscious being, is to decide based on uh, based on the circumstances, based on the conditions, and then in relation to who I want to be is to decide in that moment how I'm going to express that, how I'm going to interact with other people, how I'm going to handle the challenges or the circumstances that are confronting me. I talk a lot about, second chapter of my book, I talk about taking responsibility. And again, I'm responsible for my thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. I, I equate responsibility with owning my actions and reactions. And then in chapter three of my book, I talk about true power and true happiness. And I define power as the ability to choose, the, the ability to consciously choose and or change my thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is as long as I think someone or something else is responsible for how I feel, for what I think, feel, say, or do, then I'm powerless in that moment to choose for myself who I am in that situation. I'm saying, if I'm saying, other oh, person, you make me feel the way I feel, then I'm powerless to change the way I feel. So by taking responsibility, by stopping blaming other people, and we can blame other people or circumstances or conditions in a good way, you know, you make me feel so good, um, by stopping putting the power in somebody else's hand and taking the power back, now I get to decide in this moment how I feel, what I think, feel, say, and do. And, and it's what we think, feel, say, and do that, that leads to the outcomes that we experience in life and ultimately how we experience life. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Why do you think you are here? Well, the first thing I want to say is I think I'm here because I choose to be here. Hmm, right. this, is, this is a voluntary thing. Now, most of my life, I didn't see, that, see it that way. You know, I thought 
the world was happening to me against my will. I thought that, that I was somehow a victim of this life experience and I reacted, I acted and reacted that way. Now, remember the most important question we can ask is who do you think you are? Another way of saying that is how do you see yourself? So as long as I see myself as a victim, as long as I see myself as an unwitting participant in life, then I'm going to have one reaction. I'm going to have one way of, of reacting to life. When I begin to take responsibility, when I begin to contemplate that perhaps there's something much bigger going on here that I'm not consciously aware of in this moment, but if I look really closely and if I become very um, focused, if, if I become very precise in my perception, it seems maybe there's something else going on below the surface. So for instance, certain people will come into my life and I'll have a feeling like I have some familiarity with them. I know them. There's some prior relationship there. Um, there, there are what we call coincidences or synchronicities. But what if all of that was consciously at some other level, consciously orchestrated for our benefit? What if this whole thing that seems to be happening is not about what we think it is? What if it's not about the car payment or the college tuition or, you know, the price of Bitcoin or whatever we think is going on? And what if there's something else happening here um, that has a much higher purpose and a much higher um, that reflects a much higher calling? So so the purpose of, of, of our lives, why are we here? You know, I think for me. I'm really beginning to embrace the notion that there is something much bigger going on. And, but there is this amnesia, there's this purposeful forgetting of our true self, of our true nature, of who we really are. So we can have the joy. I, I go back to the Conversations with God books by Neil Donald Walsh, where he talks about the fact that we're here to, it's, it's kind of a, a, a recreational but actually recreational experience. We're here to create ourselves. We're here to know and experience ourselves as who we really are. But the only way we can do that is to first forget who we really are. Because if we knew who we really were, the game would be over. So it's by this forgetting and then consciously and deliberately making choices in the moment of, now, now it's in the, in the situations that challenge us in life that we find out who we, who we really think we are. So when I'm challenged by a family member or I'm challenged because somebody cuts me off on the highway or I'm challenged in those moments, that's when I get to find out who I really think I am, how I really see myself. And that's when I can begin to consciously and deliberately, if I feel the way I'm responding is not serving me or it's not who I want to be, then I can begin to, con to use my true power. Again, I define true power as the ability to consciously choose and or change our thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. When I use my, my true power to change how I'm responding, how I'm being in that moment, I'm creating my life. And then I'm fulfilling my purpose here. So in a way, forgetting is also part of the game. We don't need to blame ourselves or judge ourselves for forgetting, right? Yeah. And, and, and as I said, the game would be over if we, if we knew, if, if I knew I was God 
which is where I think all this is going. And if, if we all knew that, then there would be nothing to create. There would be nothing to experience. Again, I go back to the conversations with God books, and, and in those books, Neil Donald Walsh says, in the absence of that which is not, that which is, is not. So we need this duality. We need the experience of both love and fear, the experience of pain and joy. To the, It's the duality that allows us to have a contextual field which in which to create our lives by making choices and decisions that either move us closer to one or the other. Right. So true. What do you think freedom is, Peter? What is to be free? You know, there's so many good definitions of freedom. For me, uh, first of all, I would say uh, freedom is an integral part of love. My understanding of love, when I really love somebody, including myself, I grant them total freedom. Now, for the ego, that's really tough because the ego doesn't want to grant total freedom. The ego wants to control, manipulate, cajole, and all of that. So, But if I love somebody, including myself, and I grant them total freedom, then I have to be willing to live with the consequences of that because they may not be acting in a way that I want them to, to act. They may, not being who I, they may not be who I want them to be in that moment. That's why I define unconditional love as being willing to love myself or another when we least like, when I least like who I'm being or when I least like who they're being. It's this notion that my heart is big enough to accept the worst of you or what I judge to be the worst of you and not make you wrong for that, not attack you for that, not persecute you for that. This is a very high standard because the ego feels threatened. My ego feels threatened by somebody else who's not acting in accordance with the way I think they're supposed to be acting. They're not living in the way that I deem appropriate or whatever. So this is, again, who do I think I am? Do I think I'm a body? Do I think I'm an ego? Do I think that this life experience is all there is and that I have to get as much as I can from as, from as quickly as I can to guarantee my own survival? And that means I'm justified in doing whatever I have to do to survive, even at somebody else's expense. Or do I think that there's something much bigger going on? And do I see myself as a spirit? Do I see myself as a spiritual being? Do I see myself as greater than the conditions that seem to be oppressing me in this moment? And there are so many people in the world who have played that out at a very high level. Everybody from Martin Luther King Jr. to Mahatma Gandhi to you know people who, who live as if they're not human beings, who live as if they are something greater. And... Um, I mean, I think ultimately there's no right or wrong in this, by the way. You know, whatever choice I'm making in this moment, I think God's love is big enough to accept all of me, including in the moments when I'm not being who I really want to be, when I'm being, you know, when I'm acting from my ego, when I am being unloving or unkind to myself or others. When you say think, so that is coming from thoughts. I'm wondering if there is another source of getting to that deep acceptance and understanding of who we are. Would you say intuition or some other form of connection to that truth? Well, I would say, so I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. Yeah. I know you had John Mundy on your uh, podcast recently. It was great to hear him. Um, and one of the things A Course in Miracles says is that mind is the activating agent of spirit. And 
So for me, it's not it's so when I say who do you think you are, it's more of a conceptual process. It's more of a an awareness. It's more of a consciousness. I mean, we do have this this process, this human thought process, where our head is filled with words all day long. That's not really what I'm talking about in terms of at least at a higher level of awareness or consciousness. It's more. It becomes more of a knowing. Uh, I like the word intuition that you used. It becomes more of a sense of being, uh, an awareness, a knowing, um, and it ultimately it becomes a certainty. And when we have that kind of certainty, then we can navigate life from a much different place, you know. And we can be we can be the light. We can be that which inspires others to their own inner greatness, to their own light. Uh, I love the interview you did with uh, Mary Obana and her book, Shine. You know, it so spoke to me about, oh my gosh, yes, we're here to be the light, to inspire others, because that's our true self. That's who we really are. We're not who we, I uh, speak for myself, most days I'm not who I think I am. And um, most days I still think I'm that little five-year-old kid who was very challenged by life, you know, who had some very difficult experiences. I couldn't make sense of it. I didn't understand it. I got certain messages about myself, about how lovable I was, about how valuable I was, about how capable I was. And again, I talk a lot about this in the first few chapters of my book, those thoughts and beliefs about myself that are running my life for the most part are the conclusions of a six-year-old. I came to certain ideas about who I am, what I'm capable of, again, how valuable, lovable I am, and I never questioned those things. And because for the most part, the negative part of that was so painful, I dissociate from that. It's almost like a defense mechanism. We, as children, I believe we dissociate from these negative messages that we get because it's just too painful. But it's still there under the surface. It's that subconscious belief that runs our lives, and we're not even aware that that's what's running our lives. So I spent a lot of time, again, in my, in my work, helping people become aware of those subconscious thoughts and beliefs that run them, and then bringing some conscious intention to that and changing the story, changing the dialogue, changing the narrative consciously and deliberately. Like I have a 500-page 500 word, sorry, 500 word vision statement that I read every morning. And that's me reprogramming those limiting thoughts and beliefs that I have about myself. Yeah. I love your work. Thank you, Peter. It's a wonderful message that we all need to hear and also to be reminded. That's interesting how the remembering is really important. So how did you become a writer? <laughs> well, I actually never set out to be a writer. Um, I mean, my story very, very quickly is I, I went to school. I grew up in the New York City area. I went to school in upstate New York. Uh, I went to college. Then I went to law school and business school. And after law school and business school, I moved. I bought a one-way plane ticket to California. I moved to Los Angeles because I had a, a goal of becoming an entertainment attorney. And didn't know anybody out there. I just moved my life out there, found a job, actually quite a good job with a good firm, but I had to educate myself. I didn't, I didn't know entertainment law, so I had, to, I had to educate myself. And once I did that, I went and started working in the film business, film and TV business for different production companies. And it was during that, 
that uh, job, those jobs that I began to be exposed to the creative process. I didn't know anything about filmmaking. I didn't know anything about, you know, even music. I mean, I, I was completely unaware of that world, but it became very fascinating for me. I became very interested in, in, in the creative process. Eventually I became an amateur filmmaker and I wrote, produced and directed six short films. And then in 2002, I picked up a digital still camera for the first time <clears throat> and I fell in love with photography and photography became my passion. And then in 2008, during the global financial crisis, I actually lost my law business. I went from, from having a, actually a very nice life as an entertainment lawyer in, in, in Hollywood to having nothing in terms of a business. And I tried what I could do to resurrect that and, and just wasn't happening. So I finally came to a crossroads and I said, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I kept coming back to photography. And I, had, I have never taken a photography class. I've never taken an art class. I mean, I was law, business, economics. But I decided I was going to, I had read a book uh, that you may be uh, familiar with. It says, do what you love and the money will follow. And I thought, well, if there's ever a time I'm going to do this, it's now. And so I decided to become a professional photographer. I moved back to the East Coast at that time. And for the next three years, uh, I was stuck. I was completely stuck. And at first I thought it was the economy because the economy was still bad. And then I thought, well, you know, it must be the fact that I don't have a, uh, an education in, in art or photography. And then I thought, well, no, it's not that. It must be all the competition from all the other photographers out there. And I thought, no, no. Oh, and at one point I was even convinced it was because I didn't have the latest and greatest camera equipment. But it turns out none of that was the problem. The problem what was, was what was going on inside my own head. And it turned out that I had a very negative self-image when it came to being a creative person. And I was filled with fear. I was filled with anxiety. I was filled with this fear of criticism and rejection. Now, again, this is, this is in the subconscious. So I'm not consciously aware that this is what's running my life. But for almost three years, I told everybody that I wanted to be a professional photographer, but I wasn't really doing anything to move my career forward. And I had all these excuses, you know, I had all these reasons why it wasn't happening, but again, it was inside. So when I finally came to that realization, I said, well, first of all, I was running out of money. Uh, I had some money saved from when I was a lawyer and, and I was running out of money. And I realized, you know, I got to do something if I want to get my business, this, this photography business going. So I started to look at this question of who do, who do you think you are? You know, this is the problem. You have a, I have a very negative self-image and that's what's holding me back. How can I begin to change that? And so I set out on a journey that actually started more than 30 years ago to begin to consciously and deliberately change who I am in the world and change how I interact with the world. And so the short answer is um, I went from somebody who never won an award for anything in my life to someone who has won more than 70 awards for my photography. I went from someone who was convinced, you know, who never imagined it was possible to have one of my photos published online or in a newspaper or magazine to someone whose photos have been seen by millions of people around the world, published in newspapers, magazines, online, the whole thing. So I, by transforming who I thought I was, I had a different experience of life. 
Now, your question of how did I become a writer? So in 2019, I was back in California in February, and I was on a photo shoot for a client in Los Angeles, and then I was going to take a week in Northern California up in Yosemite photographing that iconic landscape. I made the trip up there. I got out of the car after four hours in the car from uh, from Big Sur. Excuse me. And I got out of the car and I tripped and I tore my calf muscle. And I was immediately rendered lame. I I immediately couldn't walk. I couldn't, could barely drive, you know, the whole thing. And that whole trip went out the window. But instead, in that moment, now I had been thinking in the back of my mind about writing a book about my experience of transforming myself from somebody who never won an award for anything to somebody who's won more than 70 awards for their photography. I kind of had in the back of my mind to write a book to help people. And what happened was when I tripped and I tore my calf muscle, in the first five seconds, it was the most painful thing of my life, but a very clear thought came into my head. And that thought was, now you can write your book. Now, uh, I swear, Valerie, at 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 that moment, the book was the last thing on my mind. But in that moment, I knew exactly what I had to do. And that night, when I finally made it to my hotel room, I started writing this book. And I worked on it every day for six, actually for almost nine months. And now I've been working on the second edition and the audio book for almost another nine months. You know, the pandemic has given me the time that I need to, to go back and refine a lot of this stuff and, and really put out the book that I want to put out as well as completing the uh, audiobook. So that's how I became a writer. You know, I feel like this is my way to be of service to the world. This is my way to give back. This is my way to inspire other people because there have been so many people that have inspired me in my life, you know, and so this is, this is my way of giving back. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate that. Your photography is incredibly, incredibly beautiful. I love the, um, I think you, you call the spring 2017. That is amazing. The still life, anything related to nature, I'm drawn to. So it's just amazing. And I have a question for you about that. What do you love most about photography? Or what is that about photography that connects us to, or connects you to the deeper sense of who you are? I think for me, it's an expression. It's a way to express myself. It's a way to create beauty. It's a way to touch other people. I mean, I love, I I love, love, love when other people have a positive reaction to my work. Not because so much, I mean, for a long time, it was because I felt validated. But now I feel like you know, this is, this is somebody, I, I'm bringing something positive into somebody's life. You know, art is a way to express and share beauty. And it's something in a world where, <clears throat> in a world where um, some of the messages are not about, are not life affirming, they're not about beauty, they're not about uplifting other people. I think it's one small way that I can make a contribution. And I love how humble you are. <laughs> a small way. It's a wonderful way. Um, and your book, too. It's very clear. I absolutely love your clarity. 
when you say, I remember reading that part where you have the accident, you said, oh, I have here, the only thing I know is that I can get to decide how I feel about all this. It's a really powerful message. I mean, the whole book, everything you talk about is just, uh, is the truth about this idea of having a joyful, pleasant experience in the human body. So it's all about taking responsibility and going deeper or even beyond fear. Well, I don't think we can become fearless, perhaps, but we need to transcend self-doubt and go back to self-love. And speaking of self-love, you use the word unconditional, and I do too, because I think it's the only way to do it. We have to be a bit extreme when it comes to that. And that goes back to the idea of changing beliefs, uh, limiting beliefs. So would you say that the practice of unconditional self-love is one of the most effective or powerful ways to change beliefs, limiting beliefs, or there are other methods? Yeah, well, I, I, I would think I would say for me that what I recognized was when I say changing who I think I am, how I see myself in the world, it, it was it was, a big part of that transformation was going from seeing myself as literally somebody who was unlovable, unworthy, unlovable, not good enough, don't have what it takes. Those were the core beliefs that were running my life that, I, again, I wasn't aware of because they were buried so deep in the subconscious. I got messages, at least the way I interpreted those messages as a child that said that I was, there was something about me that was not okay. And the problem was as an adult, those thoughts and beliefs were running my life and I was living from a place of self-recrimination, a place of self-loathing, a place of self-hatred. And it was that, that's what, this is so interesting, that's what was creating the fear. It wasn't somebody else's rejection of me that was the problem. It was my own rejection of myself. It wasn't somebody else's criticism that I was afraid of. It was my own. But I never realized that. So when I began to take responsibility, now, this is a very important concept. For most of my life, I didn't want to take responsibility for my own, for my actions, for my reactions, for my thoughts, for my feelings, because I thought taking responsibility, what I say in my book is responsibility is not the same as blame. It's not the same as liability. It's not the same as guilt. But for most of my life, I thought it was, which means I didn't want to take responsibility for my actions or reactions because I thought that would just be more proof that I was unlovable, that I was a bad person, that I was unworthy. So I had to shift that thinking and begin to realize that taking responsibility is not about blaming myself or anybody else. Taking responsibility for me, responsibility I equate now with the three A's, awareness, accountability, and action. I want to be aware of what I'm thinking, feeling, saying, and doing in each moment, conscious, being present in the moment. I want to be accountable if any of those things have a negative effect on myself or somebody else. And then I want to get into action. And the action part is where I make an amends, I make an apology, I set things right. When that becomes how I see responsibility, then taking responsibility actually builds my self-esteem. It's actually, I, for me now, I say taking responsibility is an act of self-love. Right. And it is. Yes. And it's also, it's, it's also the way I get my power back. Yeah. 
most of my life I was giving my power away to other people, to situations. And again, most of it, mostly it was by blaming them for how I was feeling. When I stopped doing that, now I have to look at myself and say, okay, wait a second. So I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I know that nobody else causes me to feel the way I'm feeling. So there must be something inside of me. And what I could see, it was the self-hatred. It was a self-loathing. It was a self-criticism, the self-judgment that was creating all the fear and anxiety in my life. The uh, example I give in the book is in chapter four, where I talk about the title of that chapter is from F-E-A-R to L-O-V-E. And I talk about an experience I had making cold calls for my photography business. One of the things that happened when I started running out of money was I realized I got to do some marketing. I have to find a way to get my, my business out there. And I started doing cold calls. And I, Valerie, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I would start, my hands would, I would start sweating and my hands would start shaking. And that was before I even picked up the phone. <laughs> right. Tell me about it. <laughs> and so yes. I finally, I finally mustered the courage to do that. And it was awful. It was awful, but it wasn't because of the other people. Eventually what happened was somebody said yes. And I was shocked. I was like, oh my God, they actually want to hire me as a photographer because I had such a low self-image as a creative person. And after that experience, I began to look back on, on the prior weeks and I realized, you know, the people I was calling were all very nice to me. Most of them weren't interested, but they were all very nice. In fact, some of them, they must have felt sorry for me because what they did is they referred me to, they gave me the names of other people I could call. You know, they were trying to help me out. They were much nicer to me than I was to the telemarketers who were calling me. So I realized, wow. It wasn't them that was the problem. It was me. And what I could see was before, during, and after every call, I was beating myself up. You sound like an idiot. Nobody's going to want to hire you. You don't know what you're doing. All the negative self-talk was going. That's what was creating the fear, the anxiety, and the emotional reactions that I was having. So it was very freeing. It was very – what I realized now was – or what, what I realize now is – it's never the situation that's the problem. It's always and only how I see myself in that situation. And the good news is I can change how I see myself. Most of my life, I didn't think I could. That's why I started off this conversation by saying, I'm not my past. I'm not my mistakes. I'm not my, my limitations. I'm not my shortcomings. Because most of my life, I thought that's who I was. Right. Um, how amazing, isn't it, Peter, this experience? Well, it is when I, it, it, it is when I see myself in in a way that that can appreciate this. But right. most of, most of my life, I didn't see it that way. Most of my life, I said, "You got to be kidding me!" Yeah. You know, yeah. Why is. is this happening to me? Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? But it's part of life, isn't it? It's that it goes back to that unconditional word, unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, just being here unconditionally. We have to dance first. There's no way we can get to anything, really, because everything that exists is part of that the duality. It's the two. So that's from a spirituality that I speak from, um, which gives this uh, big picture of life in the whole play. Uh, I think there's nothing more spiritual than self-love. I agree. I and agree. that's been my biggest challenge. Yeah, I agree. So, to love myself when I least like who I'm being. 
to become, I say, a big part of my success as a photographer was moving from being my own worst enemy to my own best friend and having to consciously and deliberately reprogram all the negative messages that I thought were the truth about me and to begin to question that and say, is that really true? Is it really true that I don't have talent as a creative person? Is it really true that I'm not good enough to have my photos published in a newspaper or magazine? Is it really true? And it's by questioning that and then saying, hmm, well, if that's not really who I am, then who am I? And realizing I get to decide that in each moment. I get to choose that in each moment and use my true power to do that. Then my life changes. Mm. Ah. Yes, self-love, it is. Uh, I would say it's the most profound, if not the only, uh, really true practice, spiritual practice. Yeah. So thank you for saying that too. Uh, we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. Um, but before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Would I like to add anything? Um, well, I'll, I'll just say about my next book. I'm working on my next book. And um, it's it's going to be taking all this to the next level. And it really is going to be about the spiritual side of life and my own journey with that and my own understandings of that. And Again, the original title for this book, right now the book is called Be Bigger Than You Think You Are, Overcoming Our Self-Imposed Limits to Have the Life We Want. The original title is now the chapter is chapter one, the title of chapter one, which is Who Do You Think You Are, which I've been talking about. I think the title for my next book is going to be Who Do You Think God Is? Mm, wow. And it's the, under, <laughs> the understanding that if who I think I am informs everything that I experience in my life, then who I think God is, is going to inform my experience of God, my experience of something greater, my experience of uh, spirituality. I'm not sure about the title, but that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I love that. <laughs> and this came out of the coronavirus, you know, being quarantined and locked down and, and everything that happened starting back in March, I re really began to, to I, I began to go in earnestness to some place inside myself for my answers. I went in earnestness to connect with that higher self, the higher consciousness, the greater awareness to try and make sense of what was going on. Because watching the news or just even going on Facebook, it was also overwhelming and it was also negative. And, and I believe, as I said earlier, I believe there's something much bigger going on but I need help to see the big picture. And so I have been working on my spiritual practice and I've been working on, on connecting with my higher self, my greater self, and going there for my answers. And it's a challenge. It, it, I have to be honest with you. The Course in Miracles says, you cannot behold the world and know God. The idea is that it's mutually exclusive. And then course, the Course also says, Heaven is chosen consciously. It means I have to consciously choose something other than what's going on in my life right now. I have to choose God. I have to want God more than Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is that's occupying my, my physical uh, experience at that moment. We have to make that choice, that decision. And uh, there's a whole reason why that's so. I don't have time to get into any of that. But so, so what I'm thinking now is, you know, who do you think you are now? Who do you think God is? What do you think is really going on? What is the bigger picture? 
So two more questions, the ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? No. Oh, I love that answer. <laughs> Quick too. No, and 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 because because everything if 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 I come from a place of higher appreciation, consciousness, everything in my life has happened for a reason. And it's all for my highest good. Now, I may not appreciate that. And as I said, most of my life, I didn't appreciate that. But now I'm beginning to understand that the plan is perfect, Valerie, and nothing, nothing is happening that's not exactly perfect for each of us in this moment. And so having an appreciation of that, then, you know, there's nothing I would do differently. Nothing. Yeah. And it's not, it's not because it was all so great and it's not because I got it all figured out. It's because I appreciate now that I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be wh who and what I am today without all of that. If you are where you are, it's because you're open. Something in you was open to it. But it was also perfect. It was also perfect to not be open to the lessons and to be angry about my life. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That all fits part of the plan. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I can make a decision. Is that who I want to be? Do I want to continue to be angry at whoever or whatever for my life? Or do I want to take my power back and then create my life? And knowing that, you know, now I'm responsible. If things don't work out, it's on me. It's not, I can't blame my mother anymore. I can't blame the government. I can't blame my neighbors. I can't blame whoever. Thank you so much for your wisdom, sharing the wisdom in you. Your beautiful work, your powerful messages, your presence. Thank you for everything, Peter. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So the best place to start is at BeBiggerToday.com. So B-E-B-I-G-G-E-R today, all one word, BeBiggerToday.com. Uh, you'll find out more information about my book. I do offer a free online Zoom uh, workshop every Wednesday night from 8 p.m. Eastern to about 9.30. We just did one last night. All those workshops are recorded. So you can see I've been doing them for about six months now. Uh, and I'm basically taking my participants through my book. My book is Be Bigger Than You Think You Are. Uh, and by the way, that book is set up as a workbook. So at the end of each chapter, there are questions. Yeah. And, um, and I take some of that as well as some new material. I take that into the workshops on Wednesday night. Um, if you want to see my photography, I have a photography website. It's peteralessandriaphotography.com. It's all one word. Or you could just Google my name, Peter Alessandria, A-L-E-S-S-A-N-D-R-I-A, -S -S and everything should come up from there. Wonderful. I'll have those links to posted on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. This has been wonderful. I, I so appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and, and giving me this great opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Bye for now. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Peter Alessandria and his work, please visit BeBiggerToday.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.